1980, a young man from Rwanda was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or face certain death. He refused to renounce Christ and he was killed on the spot. The night before, he had written the following commitment, which was found in his room. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. And my mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, and prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I must go until he comes. Give till I drop. Preach till everyone knows. Work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no trouble recognising me because my banner will have been clear. From the humble beginnings in a Rwandan hut in a remote village, that consecration prayer has become one of the most widely used and famous prayers outside of the Bible. I love the heart and the passion in this prayer. It's, it's like completely reckless trust in Jesus Christ, isn't it? Yeah. Something about it that just draws me in. There's something about the quality in those words and the truth that is encapsulated in those words that tells me there is no better way to live. This prayer is about total unreserved commitment. It's an all-in prayer. It's a bit like someone in a high-stakes poker game pushing all of their chips into the center, leaving nothing in reserve, just betting everything they have. It's also an all-out prayer. It's somebody going all out for Jesus, like an underdog contending for a world championship, determined to go all out to win, to give every ounce of themselves to the battle. It's a prayer of someone who knows they are not going to leave the field with anything in reserve. I love it, the heart and the passion. But what I want to say this morning is this isn't high-level, masterclass Christianity. This is actually where Christianity begins. It begins with an all-out and all-in decision to die to our selfishness and to arise to a new life in God, yielded to his purposes. Matthew 16, verse 21. 
Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He then goes on to say in verse 24, he turns to his followers, that's us, that's you and me, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, they will find it. That word life in Greek is psuche. It could be translated life, or it could be translated heart, soul, mind and strength. It's your whole life. It's everything that you are, including your personality, including your history, your desires, your dreams and your regrets, your strengths and your weaknesses, your position of influence within your workplace or within your family or within your community at large. Everything. It's everything that you are. If you could gather up all the strands of your life, everything that makes up who you are and hold them in your hands, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus said, if you are able to follow in his way and give all that you are daily and freely, you will find that you'll begin to live in a completely new way. You discover God's resurrected life. I want to say this morning, I've seen enough to know that this statement of Jesus is trustworthy. Some of the happiest times of my life have been times when I've been willing to go all in and all out once again. When I've laid it all down, when I've given it all to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, just take it all again. I want it all to be in your hands. I don't want to leave anything back. I don't want to hold on to anything. I want you to have my life in all its fullness. So often those have been pivotal moments in my life. And I believe that God always honours people who set themselves aside for him. He doesn't always do it in the same way. Sometimes he might speak afresh into your life. When you've given your life afresh again, when you said, Jesus, take all of me, sometimes your ears open to the word of God in a fresh way and you can hear God's word over your life again. Sometimes he strengthens us to continue in the resolve to, in whatever he's called us to do. Sometimes he might just open up new opportunities. Sometimes he might just bless your life with a simple awareness of his presence and his pleasure in your life. That's what he did for me. First time I ever just threw my whole self into life in Jesus. He just let me know that he, he was with me and that he delighted that he was with me. So he can step in in any number of ways. And there's been some key moments in my life when God has called me in a very specific way to set myself apart for him. I could think of a number of them, but I want to share one with you. And this was my first year at university. And listen up, all you guys that are going to hit university in the next few years. I went to Cardiff University. And I remember Freshers' Week pretty well. It was a pretty typical kind of freshers' week where, where there was an awful lot going on. Um, 
not everything that you think probably should be going on. Um, there was the normal freshers' week, welcome to campus, welcome to the university, but there's also welcome to a whole life of hedonism, and there was a whole lot on offer that as Christians, we would not want to be doing. And so when I went to university, I was already at a point where I was pretty sold out for Jesus, and I wanted to live in such a way that honoured him through my, my time at university. And so it hit me pretty hard in Freshers' Week that this was going to be a little bit more tricky than I thought it was going to be. There was a lot on offer that I had to say no to if I was going to follow in the cause of Jesus Christ. But I did want to be an influence. And what I discovered was that Freshers' Week turned into Freshers' Year. It kind of set the tone for how people carried on. And uh, I remember the, the whole kind of party season of it. And I had some really good friends... Um, Great people, people I loved very much, but were completely given to this window of opportunity of university uh, to do as much as they possibly could, to drink as much as possibly could, to sample as many substances as they possibly could, and to sleep with as many people as they possibly could. Some of these people were mature students who had had a life before, but then had gone to retrain and found themselves in this smorgies board of hedonism, and they were going to sample everything. <coughs> Good people, but a little bit off their trolley for that year. And I remember going out with them um, into, into town, because there's some great clubs in Cardiff. I remember one particular club called the Toucan Club. I hope it's still there. It was like a, a funk, soul, Latino club thing, where the, the music was amazing, and I'd be there dancing the night away, throwing my shapes on the dance floor. <laughs> Yeah, I had some moves. I'm not going to show you now. Um, but I loved that club. I, had, I actually bought some shoes, which I called my dancing shoes. They were nice. And I put them on especially for those nights out. But I remember at the end of the evening, they'd always go home with somebody. Normally somebody that they just met. A lot of these guys, and, and they, towards the end of the evening, there was always this conversation of, Aid, why don't you ever pick anyone up? Because they had tally systems and everything. They had a competition going. <laughs> and I remember, actually, I can remember the shame of it all. I'm joking about it, but actually, yeah. it was shameful, and it was something that broke my heart at the time. Yeah. But I remember them asking me, Aid, why don't you ever pick someone up? And I remember saying to them again and again and again, having the same conversation, because I'm, I'm looking for one person. I'm looking for my wife. And she's got to be a Christian. And she's got to be incredibly attractive. <laughs> Not just anybody was going to do. And so I have the normal ridiculing that happened at that point, and then they just leave, leave me to it. And often, you know, I, I just go home with one or two friends or go home alone and they'd all go and do their thing. And that was what university was like. And every week I really sensed God say, you have to set yourself apart from the culture that I was living in for that entire year. And it was a harder decision than I thought it was going to be. It was a weekly, it was like a daily decision that I had to make at university. But you know what, After, at the end of that first year, I made contact with a girl called Mary Newt. And she happened to be a Christian. And she also happened to be the most beautiful woman that ever walked the face of the earth. 
<laughs> but she is. And uh, a few months later, I remember being on a beach just near Thurlston, <coughs> just across the golf course there. And I remember producing a ring from my black polonex sleeve, which had slightly too long sleeves, an easy place to conceal a little ring in there. And I remember pulling out that ring and saying, Mary, will you marry me? And she said, yes. <laughs> Amazing. That was 14 years ago. Amazing. <clears throat> and now I have another three and a half beautiful girls in my life as well. Thank you, thank you. You can't tell me that God doesn't honour people who set themselves aside for his purposes. If you are willing to set your life aside for his purposes... And you're willing to say, God, I want your way more than I want to fulfill my selfish desires. He will bless your life. He will bless your life. He will do something wonderful in your life. Mark Batterson said in his book, All In, If you don't hold out on God, he will not hold out on you. There is nothing God cannot do in and through a person who is fully consecrated to him. He goes on to say, it is God's job to do amazing things. Our job is to fully surrender all that we have and all that we are to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we do our job, God will most certainly do his. Jesus was really clear about this. And to help us out, he gave us an analogy using the laws of sowing and reaping. You see, a farmer can't eat all of his grain and sow it for a future harvest at the same time. If he wants the full potential on offer from his grain, he has to reinvest it. He has to sacrifice it into the ground where it will die. And then he will have to be patient, but he knows that he will reap a reward of grain far in excess of what he planted. That's true, right? So it is with our lives. We cannot consume it and invest it. It's one or the other. We either live for ourselves or we offer our lives to God. But we know, as surely as the harvest will come for that believing farmer, God will pour out his goodness beyond measure in and through any life that is fully invested in him. Seriously, Jesus said we can literally, well not literally, metaphorically, we can plant our lives. We can bury them in God. John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honour anyone who serves me. So here's the big question. Are you ready? Are you 
investing your life in God, trusting that he will raise up a whole new abundant life in you? Or are you like an unbelieving farmer, holding on to your life and consuming it bit by bit, eking it out as best you can, hoping that it's going to go the distance? Which is it? You can't do both. William Booth was one of the most influential figures of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He inspired three generations of Christians to throw off selfish desires and to immerse their lives in the cause of serving the most lost and broken people in our country. He's known to have said this, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want, to, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I love that saying. I'm going to say it again. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I love that. After he died, 150,000 people filed past the casket. And 40,000 people, including Queen Mary, attended his funeral. It was a remarkable end for a man born into poverty and who worked in the midst of poverty his whole life. He is best known today as the founder and first general of the Salvation Army, a truly remarkable man who was given the title, the prophet of the poor. How did that bright shining life begin? Apparently, shortly after he was converted, he wrote in his diary, God shall have all there is of William Booth. I believe that God wants to raise up more William Booths. People who know what it is to go all in and all out for God. People through whom God can pour out his resurrection life. But it begins with that decision that I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm not going to leave anything of my life off the table, but God can have it all. Rose and Sally are going to take the plunge today. They're making their decision. They're stepping over the line as followers of Jesus Christ. And I've been thinking, our prayer as fellow disciples on the same way must be twofold. Firstly, Our prayer is that as they die to themselves, in this very graphic way they're about to do, that the resurrection life of God would flow powerfully through them in the coming years. That has got to be our prayer. That as they give themselves fully, that God would give himself fully through them. Secondly, our prayer has got to be that that we would encourage them as a community Not just with words and with friendship, but with a daily demonstration of what it means to live all in and all out for Jesus Christ.